0: We are at the three, you know, we're coming up on the three-year mark in March. Yeah. And I just, if you don't have it by now, I mean, I feel like our messaging in our home has been clear the entire time. We were clear from the very beginning it was airborne. We didn't need the CDC to tell us that. If it's spreading like a cold. Yeah. (laughs) Duh. We We didn't need the CDC to tell us that because, like, we know things about how Things spread. And we also know that in other
1: countries and other communities like that aren't US, like when people get sick, they put on masks. Like yep. that's just yep. part of the culture. And so that wasn't a stretch either. And there was, yeah, there was all the stuff. About, before that, Does it need to have a filter in it? Does it need to be triple layered? What kind of, you know, material is it supposed to be? And then it's like, oh, don't wear it. And that was such a quiet, like, don't wear a cloth mask anymore. Like now they're being a little bit more, yes. you know, but. Yeah, and I guess the few things I do want to say before I just don't want to talk about this anymore is just, one, (laughs) wear a mask. Wear a mask. Wear it over your fucking nose and mouth. I'm I'm less insulted if you just don't wear a mask, honestly, than if you wear it and... Oh, you're a noser? Yeah, everything's coming out. Yeah, Yeah. I just... Okay, you know, there's that. (laughs) Second off, you know, I, I... Cannot frame any conversations around how we handle this nor what we do next around keeping the economy going I don't care <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't care no. that should not be our reaction and it's why we're in this situation yeah because that's been the focus so the I need, entire time yeah I need the conversation to be different yeah
0: around that, and one last thing. <laughs>
1: Could we talk about long COVID? Can we... Yes. How can we, we have that whole
0: conversation we, and not talk about long... Yes.
1: Can we acknowledge that it's real? And can we recognize that even if people are quote unquote getting mild cases, breakthrough cases, being vaccinated, getting the booster shot, we don't understand this virus enough yet. We still don't understand how dangerous it is just to get it in have it, and even in recovery from it, still be dealing with pretty lifelong debilitating things. And that has always terrified me. And I don't understand why it doesn't terrify more people. Yep.
0: I have a friend who got COVID, I think, a month into the pandemic, still suffering Yeah, horribly. Yeah. It has created all kinds of problems. Yeah. And... No one's. Ta- I mean, I see people on Twitter really screaming, you know, rightfully about the effects of long COVID. But outside of that, and some good articles that have have hit, this is not on the CDC, the governments.
1: Yeah, I don't think I. I have not seen the this administration use the phrase long COVID. No. If they have, please let me know. They don't say it enough. No, I'll put it that no. way.
0: So that we're just saying to people, if you're, you're vaxxed and boosted and you get it, it's just like a cold. Well, we don't know that because there's a lot of things we don't know. And we have a lot of examples of people that it has not been just like a cold for them. Yeah. And so, yeah. Brain cognition stuff.
1: Cardiovascular stuff. Of course, we all know about like the lungs and them. You know, looking like a twenty-year smoker. Right. You know, I've seen erectile dysfunction. I've seen all kinds of just weird things. And things things. they're predicting. Yeah, uh, that will happen to people. Yeah, yeah.
0: Cognitive things that will happen in in you know twenty years, and I is also offer all of the economic talks since that's the priority. I would think that if huge swaths of your population are going to develop other kinds of physical problems in the years to come because yeah. of this, that that would also affect your precious economy. Yeah. But I guess right now is all we're really thinking about.
1: Yeah, because lots of
0: politicians
1: getting it. Yep. And this vaccine is not really making a difference in terms of who's getting long COVID. If we're looking at the research today, right. that may change right. in months, who knows. But as of today, it appears to be so, that regardless of, Your vaccination vaccination status. status. Yeah, when you could track this thing, your chances of developing some kind of long COVID symptoms are about the same. And that's scary. So, yes, get vaccinated, wear your mask. (laughs) 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 But try not to get it. Try not to get it. Try not to get it, It too. Try not to spread it. Think about your actions. Think about the fact that... Because the other thing, people don't get asymptomatic. They don't understand. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: You can have it, not know, be spreading it, not know, people around you, not know. Just wear a mask. Just stay the fuck home. And stay home. <laughs> I don't know. Alright. I'm, I'm, yeah, I can't talk anymore about it. Oh, renegade through and through. Oh, renegade through and through. Oh, God, if you only knew Now tell me what do I do And if what I say is true How could I get through to you I don't know how to behave I don't know how to behave And if I don't change my way If I tell me to my grave Welcome to Outlaw's Evidence of the Unseen, exceptional stories and conversations that weave history, religion, arts, and politics into the fabric of our greater cultural narrative. I am Ray Carrington, singer, songwriter, and producer.
0: Tim Dillinger, gospel and CCM historian, essayist, and sometimes singer.
1: And if you like the show, uh, be sure to subscribe and tell everyone you know to tune in as well. And if you feel so inclined, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. This helps more people find us. And uh, yeah, we're just going to continue with our conversation. We started out talking about praise and worship music. And then uh, in the last episode, we did a whole review of the film, uh, The Jesus Music. And uh, we wanted to now really talk about one artist in particular that we feel like their story just completely encapsulates everything that needs to be talked about when you're talking about the Christian music world, um, navigating that, uh, the hardship of that, being brilliant in a world that doesn't... Uh, recognize your brilliance, overcoming scandal. I can go on and on and on. But, you know, why why do you feel like it's important, Tim, to talk about Andre Crouch?
0: Well, because I think so much of what he did and how at the time he was perceived have so been, those things have been so rewritten that I feel like we've got to really like have a conversation, go back to original sources and, you know, firsthand accounts uh, to really retell what was happening. Because I think what a new generation sees as their traditional music, Mm -hmm. they think that because they see it as traditional music, that it was traditional at the time and that everyone loved it in the way that they love it today. And that's not the case at all. And so I think seeing what he went through and really kind of, Holding the music to task as well, because I think there's a lot because people have not really done a lot of writing or reading about Andre comprehensively. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that just isn't understood about why he was who he was and why he had the success he had. And I think understanding some of those things makes the music matter more and differently. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I will say in preparing for this episode, I listened to... um, A lot of his catalog and i did it in chronological order which i had never done before and much i'm going to try not to get emotional but much like listening to aretha franklin when she passed and doing the same thing with her music i was overwhelmed by that much brilliance coming from one person um it just didn't stop. No, you know, talk about someone being so prolific. It, it's just mind blowing to hear all of his brilliance all in one day like that. And I, I just went and just went for it, and it, it, gobsmacking, gobsmacking yeah. to to take that in. And so I would I would kind of juxtapose him as the gospel world's Aretha, because of just that the brilliance. Musicality. Yeah, the musicality and just the brilliance of, of doing that from decade to decade to decade, and it never really letting up. And changing with the times. And changing with the times. And he was, you know, he made, he was, he was very much a contemporary artist, a cutting, you know, music that was cutting edge for a very long time. But at the same time, he knew how to write, Church songs that sound to me immediately
0: sounded classic. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, I mean, I think he was my first live music experience. Yeah,
1: tell like, me about
0: that, your introduction to him. Well, it, my mother tells the story that this was my when she was pregnant with me. Um, she listened to Andre nonstop, and then when I was in the crib, live at Carnegie Hall, was really the album she played over and over and over. And so Andre is my first live music memory. Went to see him at the Bayfront Center in St. Petersburg, Florida. I was three years old and I have little glimmers of it. I still have glimmers of that concert. Um, Shirley Caesar terrified me. She opened the show. Um, She did the no charge routine (laughs) where she nails her background (laughs) singer to the cross. (laughs) And as I remember, I screamed and had to be consoled because I found that, terrifying yes, um, yes
1: as we talked about in the previous episode did we, talk about but, it well, no, okay. we didn't talk about that but we talked about the nails yeah. it being traumatizing the children oh, it, it was
0: traumatizing yeah. to me yeah. they
1: want to be upset about metal covers yeah. christian metal covers but that you know oh, it's okay
0: I, I mean i remember i let out a blood-curdling scream i mean i wasn't a dramatic child at all but um and then andre came out and i just remember the force of it Um, he still, it was one of the last Disciples concerts, uh, if I'm not mistaken, because 78, 79, it was one of those two years, the Disciples performances ended and Danny Bell Hall was there, but her plane was late. So she came out mid show. I still remember that. Um, because I was there for Danny Bell, honey. That's what I was there for. Love Danny Bell. But they were just spectacular. They were just spectacular. And to, to go back, you can go to YouTube and see some of those performances from the um, early 80s, or really the majority of the ones you find on YouTube. Just spectacular. Um, his ear for talent. Mm-hmm. The singers he chose. Uh, I mean, that just made me kind of emotional. Yeah,
1: I'm realizing this might be a tough one to get through, because I'm going to I'm gonna feel emotional.
0: Yeah. Well, and yeah, I mean, I think Crystal Merton... You know, came to the, his group after the Disciples ended. Just huge influence on me. Tata Vega, uh, yeah. who became a friend, you know, in my life. And um, Alfie Silas and Gene Johnson and Kathy Hazard. Just amazing. Howard McCrary, Linda McCrary. Yeah. And these were just awesome. incredible. McCreys, yeah. I mean, L.A. singers, Phyllis St. James. And they were, honey, just also, just divas. I mean, when you watch those shows, <laughs> I mean, it was just a totally different time. And yeah. so you see them on TV, just faces beat, hair did. And grand. Then, and grand. And then the band. Yes. Is just yes. always, no matter what incarnation yes. of musicians Andre had, they were amazing. Top tier. Always an interracial band. He always had an interracial band uh, from the early 70s on. And so that brings with it just a different kind of musical diversity as well Mm -hmm. but everybody came together in that gospel stew and it was just rich bill maxwell one of the baddest drummers ever (laughs) who ended up co-producing everything from take me back in 75 on you know into
1: the through the 80s
0: well yeah i believe bill was even involved in um the 90s records if okay. i'm not mistaken i believe but just musical minds who went on to bring us so much other music i mean bill maxwell was behind the the martin the music on martin mm-hmm. you know um uh, they were involved in color purple like yeah. prayer yeah. madonna yeah uh, rick astley cry for help i mean just on and on and on all these times you hear those voices i mean they were just amazing sandra crouch was playing tambourine on on Madonna's Spanish eyes and you know, all the Motown stuff in the seventies, Sandra's on tambourine. I mean, Jackson five, Yeah. Diana Ross. I mean, just yeah. you hear and you know, it's her, I mean, Sandra Crouch <laughs> is in her own right, just such an amazing musician. And Andre had all of that at his disposal. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's important.
1: We've talked a lot about what we hate, <laughs> 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 the the music and what it's become in the christian world but andre really does his work just embodies everything that was right about christian music and everything that it could be in terms of crossing over and actually going mainstream and doing the same brilliant stuff with huge mainstream acts as well and so you know I, yeah right we're just guess we're just going to talk about all of it. So do we want to just
0: start from the, the very beginning? Well, I think we have to set a little bit. He's He and Sandra and their brother Benjamin, they were preacher's kids, we grew up Church of God in Christ. Their father had a church in Pacoima, uh, California, and um, Andre had to play the piano because his church, his father didn't have a musician. And he, his father, famously, the story goes that he prayed over Andre and said... You know, I believe the story is we don't have money for lessons. Uh, you're going to have to teach my son how to play the piano and that he prayed for Andre and Andre put his hands down and knew how to put it all together. Uh, that's the story. That's the and story. And so um, <laughs> at the as a teenager, he wrote uh, at James Cleveland's home at a barbecue. His first song, The Blood Will Never Lose Its Power. Um, imagine
1: that being your first song.
0: First song. It was at a a barbecue at James Cleveland's home. There were a lot of other artists there. Albertina Walker was there. The Caravans recorded it. So Andre also gets his first real lesson in the music business through this experience because... When the record came out, James Cleveland's name was on it as the writer. And uh, well, <laughs> so Andre uh, never told this full story in public that I'm aware of. But there I saw him on TBN in the 80s and he didn't name names, but he said that someone had put their name on the song and he looked at the camera very slyly and said, but we had to straighten that out. And so I don't know how that got straightened out, but it did get straightened out. <laughs> And uh, it became his first... I mean, that song went around the world. Not because of the caravans recording of it, but it kept having a life. Other people recorded it. uh, White artists recorded it um, beyond the caravans. And it became... It's a standard today. Yeah. It's a standard And
1: it's one of those songs, again, that people just think is just one of those traditional songs or a hymn. And was written in the 60s. By a 14-year-old. By a 14-year-old. You know... Which just happened to be one of his first
0: ones. Yep. And then he forms a group called the, the Kojiks, the Church of God in Christ. And it was... Gloria Jones, uh, Frankie Carl
1: Springs, ah. Edna Wright, Blinky Edna- Williams, Sandra Crouch, and Billy Preston.
0: So this is a major group. Okay. First <laughs> of all, you got Billy Preston, who at the time was also working with the Beatles. Right. <laughs> Edna Wright, who would go on... She's uh, um, Darlene Love's sister and the lead singer of Honeycomb. Gloria Jones, who we would come on to know as a Motown artist in the 70s and songwriter. Uh, mm-hmm. Many people also remember her as Mark Boland's uh, partner. Uh, Sandra Andre, Blinky Williams, who was, she was also on Motown and was always the, the Little Train That Might as well. And I mean, just, I mean, she has albums in the can, if I'm not mistaken, that they're still trying to get re released from Motown. Uh, she's one of those cult figures. Um, Frankie K. Spring. So, this is his first group. Yeah. And they were doing, you know, really traditional gospel fair. They first recorded in 64. Their first album, It's a Blessing, um, had the blood on it. Uh, And a lot of arrangements of traditional songs. There's a fountain. And then Andre's originals. But the sound was essentially a traditional gospel sound. And so, at 68, he comes back as Andre Crouch and the Disciples take the message everywhere. It consisted of Sherman Andrus, who would go on to be a part of the Imperials, and andrews blackwood and company billy fedford who would stay with the disciples for many years and then make some incredible records in the late 70s as a soloist Uh, also sang background on tina marie's uh, lady t record perry morgan and ruben fernandez i'm sure sandra sang on that record as well but she is not credited on that album as being part of the disciples okay and you get there the sound is starting to change yeah there's still a traditional core there um, he re records the blood yes. on that record. Precious Lord, um the Thomas Dorsey song, the Thomas Dorsey song Wade in the Water, the Spiritual, but it was very groovy. Yes.
1: <laughs> it was a groovy album. It it it's totally informed by what Pop was doing in the late 60s. Totally. It sounds like the association or the mamas and the papas to me. And so, you know, if you were wanting a fifth dimension record. <laughs> But in a gospel context, like, that was it. That was it.
0: Yes. And he was working also with um, organizations like Teen Challenge, David Wilkerson's organization, and became involved in evangelistic outreach. He was getting invitations to sing at a lot of um, white ministries. And then after the 68 album, so Christian People comes out in 1970, and it's a collaboration with Pat Boone. Um. Which is an interesting story because you know Pat. Now today, there's always always been talk about Pat getting the you know hits on Little Richard songs and all this. So it's interesting that he's then used as a platform to introduce Andre Crouch to a broader audience. Yeah. Um, The version of the group at this time also included a young Tremaine Davis, who would become in just a few years Tremaine Hawkins. Yeah, Um, singing, singing. I mean, you really get. And we had gotten Tremaine on, you know, the Oh Happy Day album, Mm -hmm. you know, with uh, Joy Joy, her solo there. And um, now we get her on Andre. So it's interesting. She had her hand in both of the most, you know, known to be progressive Christian gospel groups at the time. Yeah. And this scores... Them a Grammy nomination. Yeah, the first one was this just like a
1: one off single. Was it on? Was it wasn't. It on was an an album? on an album. It was on an album, but not an Andre album. Okay. It was on
0: a Pat Boone album. Okay, gotcha. And it was released as a single. So this this single was released on uh, Liberty United Artists Records, and um, apparently, if if the story is correct, they wanted to sign Andre and the Disciples, um, but they wanted to have some control over the content. Meaning they probably didn't want it to be as gospel focused mm-hmm. lyrically, and so they they did not take the deal, and they were connected with Ralph Carmichael, um, who was the who ran Light Records, mm-hmm. uh, West Coast Christian label that at that point, uh, to my knowledge, did not have any black artists at that time. Light mm-hmm. was doing film soundtracks for Christian soundtracks or for Christian films. Um, They were doing um, orchestral records. Uh, Ralph Carmichael was an orchestrator. And so he was doing like big band Christian projects as well. And Mm -hmm. the early Jesus Music musicals, uh, a lot of which were written by Jimmy and Carol Owens, were on Light. So that's the actual early stage of Light Records. So they bring Andre Crouch in and they up his production. In an incredible way. But it was very Jackson 5-ish, almost, in some ways. Keep on Singing, I think, was the the only one we really get with that kind of sound. Yeah. Well, Soulfully too.
1: It had like a Motown kind of thing
0: to it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And um, Andre really didn't have a hand in the production. Those records were produced by bill cole andre didn't really like not being a part of the production Mm. keep on singing though had massive crossover hits and by crossover i mean to white people yeah my tribute to god be the glory i don't know why i hate that people
1: get that song the name of that song wrong too hate it yeah yeah It's, Um, it's called my tribute i guess you could add the the hyphen of to god be the glory but Yes. Anyway, go ahead.
0: I've got confidence. <laughs> I'm going to keep on singing Jesus every hour. He'll give you power. So these songs became popular on Christian radio mm-hmm. um, because you have to remember back then singles were put out with no picture on them, right? And so the the Christian radio stations did not know these were black people, mm. and so I've got confidence became a breakout. I mean, Elvis recorded it. Yeah. Um, huge deal and so Andre starts getting bookings for the group to go sing and they would show up and the audiences would be aghast because they were black people and this had not happened before Mm. and so people would walk out they would be insulting and that's what he faced off on in his early success faced off with was showing up people not knowing he was black because he had a different kind of sound. He had a polished sound that white people could mistake yeah. as theirs. Yeah, They toured pretty incessantly because, again, they were in with organizations like David Wilkerson's Teen Challenge, which gave them a route. The Jesus Movement was happening, which we also talked a lot right. about in the last episode. Yeah. And Andre really benefited from the Jesus Movement in that there were now younger people who didn't have a lot of the same kinds of hangups as their parents. Yeah. And so Andre was also able to do a lot of outdoor events that weren't dependent on churches, prisons, youth groups, you know, and so he, they made it work. The disciples made it work. So
1: had through it all, which again, just one of those songs that you hear all the time in churches and you would think is older than it was.
0: Yes. Yes. Everything Changed is my favorite. I yeah. love that one. Because it's so... I mean, you really get the effect Sly Stone was having on Andre during yes. this time. Because there's also, like, a psychedelic element on this record that was kind of controversial yeah. for people. Yeah. It was very genre defined. Totally. The whole...
1: Yeah. This one and the album before it, you know... And the album for that one, like, these early records just were just
0: good music. And
1: Andre was singing.
0: Andre really sang. On yeah. those for early records. He was really singing. It Won't Be Long. You Don't Know What You're Missing. These were all just became, I mean, mantras in the Jesus movement. I mean, these songs were just incredible corrallers of people. And you really get that. I mean, these are so contagious. Yes. Um, yes. And 72 was also the year that uh, he performed at Explo 72. And so you're also getting, by the time he does the solo album, Just Andre, the same year in mm-hmm. 72, you're then getting Bill Maxwell and the band Sunlight, who became Andre's band. They became the new disciples. Uh, Andre also did The Tonight Show during this period with Johnny Carson, which was a huge first for CCM. Just Andre, again, Bless the Lord, oh My Soul. Right. which they still sing today yeah. by some miracle of god um if heaven was never and was it
1: called bless the lord or was it called bless his holy bless his name, holy name. Bless yeah his it's holy another name. one that has like two names it's and people just call it whatever <laughs> if heaven was never promised to me i love that one love love it people would never write or sing a song like this ever today no. We should cover it.
0: <laughs> and there is a great clip. Uh, if you look up Andre Crouch, uh, there's a concert he did in the early 80s on TBN that is on YouTube. And Crystal Merton sings the poo out of this. Um, <laughs> you should find it. Yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, as we said, first solo album and...
1: Second Grammy nomination. Yeah. So yeah. There He's in. Yeah. He's in. And it doesn't let up after that. It just, it's, it's just continual music. Just...
0: Well, I've got to say he was also doing some really progressive things at the time because here he is. He has an interracial band. Mm -hmm. He's traveling around the country, going to places like Mississippi. Um, At the time, the other thing uh, in 72, he had only white woman that was ever in the Disciples, Reba Rambo, uh, was traveling with him. (laughs) And that was a whole other thing, just that they had not just white men in the group, but a white woman mm-hmm. traveling with these people. It was a thing. It was a real thing. You can see that story on my sub stack. Um, God's music is my life. But I think that's, you know, there's so many other things that happened from just touring, being on the road. They were, they had a, their own bus already at this point. They had bought uh, the Rambo's old tour bus. And so they're, I mean, they weren't traveling by van. Like a lot of, at this point, a lot of gospel groups are still traveling in cars. Yeah. And they actually had a, a bonafide bus. Bona fide yeah. bus. I mean this is that's the kind of um, revenue they were already getting just yeah. from being on the road so consistently. Danny Bell Hall had joined the group during this time. Going into she wasn't on Live at Carnegie Hall. She came into the group just after that, and the ad, that album came out in '73.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so Live at Carnegie Hall. This is the album. This we is the talk, album. This is yeah. the yeah.
1: album. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. I think the big song. Well. Two big songs, I think that people know from this record: "Jesus Is the Answer," um, and also "Can't Nobody Do Me Like Jesus." Yes. And again, like staple, like yeah, that's where the, that's where the song comes from. This 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 record.
0: <laughs> well, and you really do from start to finish. This record is an experience, and this was. It starts with these young people leading a Jesus chant at the beginning, and it's just nonstop. It is so well edited mm-hmm. a it just feels like you are rolling through it yeah and it is like woo like you were there like you feel it yeah um just an incredible incredible uh album at that point he had blinky williams was in the group um sherman andrews who led uh their cover of dotty rambos he looked beyond my fault sandra's in the group playing that tambourine and singing <laughs> and she also co-wrote which people don't Talk about she co-wrote Jesus is the answer okay. with Andre. But this album shifts everything. Yeah. Like this album, Michael W. Smith didn't say this in the Jesus Music film, but he did say it in other interviews that it was the everlasting Jesus Music concert album and live at Carnegie Hall that completely upended him and yeah. changed his
1: musical trajectory. I'm really disappointed in the the owners of the masters of the light catalog monarch music because this live at carnegie isn't complete they'd left
0: the last they left the last off.
1: song off the the album markers are off so the track names are off for like towards the end of the record like it's just all wrong
0: can we fix that and can we get good remasters of these albums finally yeah. like they're putting up cd transfers from the 90s And this catalog deserves so much more than that. Yeah, because there's just so
1: much brilliance in there. Yeah, they sound like vinyl rips, some of them. Yeah.
0: Original cover scans would be nice. Yes. Not just the scans of the CD inlays from the 90s as well. It's it's just really tragic that this is how they're throwing this incredible Incredible music music up on the internet. It deserves so much more. And this album was huge, huge, huge seller. Yeah. Huge seller. And sets the stage for something big. So you didn't know what was going to come after it. But then in 1974, you get the epic Take Me Back album. Yeah. Yeah. talk about your thoughts on Take Me Back. Really just that Andre really benefited
1: during this time, as a lot of brilliant artists did, from the time limit that vinyl Mm -hmm. puts on you and so when you only have 40 maybe 45 minutes to get it all in he really and yeah with live you know to have a live album be so succinct succinct means it has to be back to back to back to back just brilliance and same with same with take me back
0: yes yeah well and the production on take me back first of all you get synthesizers for the first time. Mm-hmm. You get blazing, different kind of horns than you got on the prior records. Yes. Those that horn section was incredible. The you get more guitar. You really get all of what sunlight brought to the disciples as a rock funk fusion jazz fusion band yeah i mean you get all of those elements in full throttle and andre and bill maxwell took over the production yeah on this record which also is what changed yeah. everything you also get like a little um vaudeville kind of tune <laughs> um it ain't no new thing and you also get introduced to danny Bell hall who sings tell them take me back i mean she became just so important in andre's career um what a Voice. What a voice. Yeah, it got me choked up. She was amazing. Danny Bell was so limitless. I mean, you you every time you think like she's an alto, she does something up there, and you go, Oh, she can go further. And she just emoted these songs. I mean, she was able to interpret Andre's songs in such an incredible way. I understand why he wanted to sing less once she came to the group because she's so great and he had perry morgan uh who was amazing billy fedford i mean these were spectacular singers and andre put them front and center
1: yeah he started platforming people that he knew were just brilliant and i think that i guess you know he just it took some of the pressure off of him to just go ahead and let them do it you know big song from that album if you're gonna look it up and listen be sure to listen to just like he said he would yes yeah Yes. This album wins his first Grammy.
0: Against multiple nominations for James Cleveland (laughs) and my beloved 21st Century Singers in Nashville. And Andre won it. That's stiff competition. Stiff competition. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So Take Me Back uh, is followed up by This Is Another Day. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) second favorite second favorite go for it you talk first well again uh, so soon and very soon is on this album and again like he just wrote songs that immediately like you would you you hear soon and very soon and you think it's so again so much older than it is 76 that's when when the song came out and you know they just sound so familiar they sound like songs that you should know already if you don't know them and I don't think a lot of people know that he like he is the writer of these songs soon and very soon. Jesus is the answer, take me back, my tribute. You know, that's him. Yeah, he
0: wrote them. Like these he aren't wrote them. these aren't songs he just gathered Covered, from. Yeah. These aren't <laughs> spirituals. These aren't things yeah. he, you know, just took and kind of put a new beat to. He was composing these
1: songs. So his ear for gospel sensibility, but then to also take that and Make beautiful arrangements out of them, beautiful compositions, and also figure out ways to, in his way,
0: be edgy, production-wise. Yes, Yes. well, we've got Leon Russell on this record. Leon plays on, um, I think, a track or two on this album. I've also got, I mean, my favorites on this album, of course, You Gave To Me, led by Danny Bell Hall. Um, We expect you just one of the most gorgeous songs whether you believe in the rapture or not um which i don't um i can still appreciate the beauty of this song and just the 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 swing of this is another day the title track yeah, those yeah. background vocals i mean the background vocal arrangements yeah. on this album are yeah. just amazing and i think you're also starting to get like earth wind and fire influences mm. as well yeah And I also, while we're on this time period, 1976, I think it's really important to to say that in 1975, Andre brought Light Records, Walter Hawkins, and the Love Center Choir. Mm. And so you got Love Alive and that entire series that would come out in the 70s, but in 75, the first installment because of Andre Crouch. Mm. Andre brought, he heard the cassette of it and um, immediately took Walter to Light. And made that classic. Ultimately, even though he wasn't involved in the creation, he is yeah. the reason we have it. Yeah, And I think that's important to say.
1: Uh, this album was also nominated for a Grammy. And it, I believe, was his first dub win. I couldn't find a list of all of his dub nominations. But yeah, this was the first win. Um, um, so
0: yeah, there you go. He does a background vocal appearance and Billy Preston's A Whole New Thing uh, in 77. And then in 78, you get the epic, (laughs) epic
1: double album, double
0: live album, live in London, live in London. This concert was put together by Norman Miller. He promoted concerts, Christian concerts in the UK at the time. He would go on to marry Sheila Walsh and uh, have an incredible career in America as a Christian music executive. But he was making his name in England at the time. And he put this concert together and they recorded it. And this was, I mean, I have visceral memories. Of visceral? <laughs> is that a word? <laughs> it is. It's just. I have just such clear memories yeah. of this album. I remember when it came out. I remember my mother getting it on 8-track. It was a two 8-track pack. <laughs> and we took a trip to North Carolina in 79. And this was all we played. This and Barry Manilow Live. But this...
1: <laughs> I love the juxtaposition of those two albums, But yeah. this
0: album, I mean, I can sing every background vocal part on this album. <laughs> every, I mean, this was just the soundtrack. And then you get this really ultra contemporary cover that looks like nothing you've ever seen before in Christian yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. The artwork was epic. This massive piano flying out of the sky. I love that it's the piano and not Jesus. Um, <laughs> No, it looks like what
1: the funk guys were doing totally. in that era. Like those big, just like epic album covers. Yeah. It's also
0: Back to the Future. Yeah. Like, it's very, yeah. <laughs> like, you have never heard anything like this before. That's what the album cover says to you. Yeah. yeah. And truly, this album, you haven't. And I mean, there's a ton
1: of music on it ton of music and
0: it is not a laborious listen i mean no. it moves so quickly you get new songs on this too. take a little time take a little time which had been a, a early disciples cut that they completely revitalized kathy hazard was part of the group at this time incredible singer b car and danny bell of course but just an amazing 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 work this is where the infamous you don't have to jump Jump No hughes came from that came from this album and the last disciples album
1: yeah this is the last one power in the blood was on it oh yeah
0: that that whole medley there's also a youtube clip (laughs)
1: yeah so he was doing a lot of tbn (laughs) during these years And PTL, I guess, as well. But yeah, there's, <laughs> there's one clip in particular we love. They used to have all these old TBN clips up, and they took them down. <laughs> Probably because we were ripping them and making memes out of them. <laughs> but there's one uh, where he does Power in the Blood, and they do the whole the vamp at
0: the end, and, you know, baby, this... <laughs> <laughs> Miss White Lady gets happy, honey, and it all <laughs> just, um, flailing. just flailing, flailing. Yeah, yeah it's the best, it's the best, and yeah. it, that is on YouTube. You can still find that on YouTube. Yeah. We'll have to do links. <laughs> um, and this is a, you know, but now is a good time, I think, to start talking about how the criticism. Yeah really escalated during this whole period because there's a real rewrite that the black church just loved Andre throughout through all, these, all years. these years. And yeah. these were hard years for him and it's documented. I mean, he talks about this in every interview he did uh, about how criticized he was. And that criticism really was not coming from the white audience. The white audience was eating this up. Mm-hmm. The criticism was coming from the black church and he really took that to heart. And so the more and more secular, and plus he was getting so much secular acceptance. He's this at this point he's performing on the Grammys. Yeah,
1: this was his second Grammy win, by the way, live in London.
0: Yes, um, and another
1: Dove win as well. Yeah.
0: And the fact that the Disciples end at this time gives him an opportunity to show us a little bit more about what's happening for him. And so you get in 79, I'll Be Thinking of You. Which is the second
1: solo album. His first in like seven seven years. years, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think we start to really see there's a, to me, when I listen to this album, I hear a real sadness in Andre that you don't really notice in the Disciples. Work because you're getting all of the exuberance from everybody else and so you don't really get the focus on andre yeah it's a little melancholy it's melancholy and i beautiful (laughs) (laughs) he talks about how i'll be thinking of you really came from that criticism in 1980 there's a 1983 interview that he does and there was we'll touch on this but there was a He was arrested um, for drug possession in 1980, uh, suspected of drug possession in 1983, 82, rather. But he talked about that song. He said, I think people had started looking at me as a spirit. It seems like their hands would go right through me as if I was a ghost. I'd say to somebody, that's a nice car. Where did you get it? And they'd say to me, God gave it to me. Uh, no one could talk to me like a real person. Everybody had to be spiritual. I couldn't let people know that I was really hurting, that I was really lonely. All my loneliness went into my music, into songs like I Want to Be Closer and I'll Be Thinking of You. People needed need to be touched and cared for. Me too. But as soon as someone would try and give it to me, I'd pull back. I'd been fooled into thinking that I had to do all the giving. Mm. And so to me, I'll Be Thinking of You really I mean, with that song, Touch Me, There's No Hatred in God, mm, Yeah, Dreaming, you know, these were all just really looking for you. Even the upbeat songs just had this tinge of sadness in them. And we really got that in 1979 with I'll Be Thinking of You, yeah. that entire record, which to me, though, is a landmark record. Yes. Uh, the production, it sounds like a Steely Dan record. Yes. Yes. I mean, yes. it is... He's got Philip Bailey on this record. On "I've Got the Best," uh, Stevie Wonder on harmonica, and "I'll Be Thinking of You." All the LA, the great LA session players were on this record. It is again just relentless. I mean, every single song. There's not a, there's not a skipper.
1: Yeah, two of the other big ones: uh, Jesus is Lord, huge, and uh, the Love Medley. And I really wanna just say like i'm just gonna throw some names out there donald lawrence kurt franklin richard smallwood myron butler tommy sims israel houghton anthony brown when i listen to this album i hear what all of them got from him but it's so much better (laughs) than what all of them did with it (laughs) yes and so if you love any of those artists, if you see any of them as the pinnacle of what gospel music has to offer, listen to I'll Be Thinking of You. Yes.
0: Well, and I think, and I want to hop on that point because I think, you know, my question then becomes like, why is what they bring us not as convincing? And I love
1: what all of them have done at some point or another. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Why is it not, though, at the same level? And I really do think that there's an emotional intelligence that is lacking in everything that has come since Andre. I mean, Andre was clearly feeling very deeply, uh, because we also know that, the depths of those feelings, good and bad, are what make great art. Yeah, and so I think there's a certain just intensity to which he was experiencing life—the the horrible criticism, um, the ostracism, and the heights of success—all at the same time. He was funneling it into these songs, and really just so smart uh, about how he could write these things in a way that were still reaching people they weren't so specific to him but they were his story yeah and i think
1: he was also willing to let the questions be in the music much like we said in the previous episode with uh, bill gaither talking about praise and worship and how you know you're ignoring like the 50 or the 85 yes. <laughs> percent of the other psalms that are introspective and in.
0: contemplative thank you
1: that and you know andre's music was doing that or finding ways to do that among all the other things and i think he was also willing to bring in brilliant musicians both the singers and the players and allow them to expand his original thoughts around it and make it even more gorgeous than what his vision probably started out was
0: well, and one of the things he always critiqued was the 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 story in mm-hmm. the songs. I mean, he in all of his interviews that I've read, he consistently talked about why are we so reductive in how we're writing our experiences, and he really he was really down on traditional gospel music for that reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that period, he was really um, critical of what people were writing about and the ways they chose to say it he was really critical um but his answer was not
1: to just make sappy praise and worship songs either that's right yeah
0: that's right he was you know innovating i also think it's also um vital to talk about the support that he was for other artists i mean by this time one of the reasons I'm pretty sure The Disciples had to end. Danny Bahal had a successful solo career mm-hmm. by this time. And she was out on her own, and she really did that because of what Andre gave her. There are stories that are, you know have been in interviews and documentaries through the years about Andre being financial support to other CCM artists that were struggling, uh, putting people beyond yeah. the Hawkins. I mean, he helped the archers a major CCM group, he helped them with their first record, write, wrote, writing for them. He, at this point, he's now starting to write for other people like Shirley Caesar and, you know, contributing these one-offs mm-hmm. to people who he just wanted to help out. Yeah. And I think that's a really lost art. Yeah. The the, the sense of competition is not that heightened. Yeah. That you can see other people's value.
1: Yeah. Speaking of, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention his uh, participation or involvement in The Lord's
0: Prayer. That's right. In 1980. 1980 Grammy Award winning record, in which he was also nominated as a solo artist in that category. (laughs) And ended up with a win anyways. Uh, So in 1980, Reba Rambo and Donnie McGuire composed a musical of sorts called The Lord's Prayer, which took a line from each of the the, um, verses. A line from The Lord's Prayer and wrote a song about it. And had the Archers, B.J. Thomas, uh, Cynthia Clausen, Walter and Tremaine. Uh, they were all on that record and performed on the Grammys that year. Yes. And they won. Andre's song on that record <laughs> is so, it's a continuation of the whole Steely Dan thing. So much so that on the liner notes for the Lord's Prayer, Donnie said, Steely Who to Andre. So that was clearly really conscious. Yeah. Fourth Grammy win. Yeah. This is where things once again escalate for Andre because he gets a uh, deal with Warner Brothers separate from his light contract. He didn't have to break his light contract. They worked out a way for him to also have an agreement with Warner to do a different kind of record. Mm -hmm. And so don't give up. Talk about what your impression was of don't give up. It's just... It,
1: to me, it, it harkens back, and I know Andre had stuff around the early albums, uh, but it harkens back to being on that cutting edge of pop music. It just sounds so market-ready. The horn, like, again, the horn arrangements, they evolve, like, they evolve again, and it's just masterful. You can tell these are just the absolute cream of the crop pros in the studio on this album. It's, it sounds expensive. When I listen to it, it sounds like an expensive
0: album. It's like off the wall level. Exactly
1: like Like Quincy Jones level music. Like I kind of wish Andre was singing like he had been, just because like you know that it just totally translates over. But the the, the other singers are, (laughs) so it kind of makes up for it. Um, My other thing with this album is it's. Probably his sexiest
0: album cover. Totally. <laughs> He's definitely serving, like, early 80s daddy. He was hot on the album cover. <laughs> like, oh.
1: Uh, giving eyes. The giving shirt, eyes. The shirt's open. You're getting, like, the taco meat with the chain. It's like, oh, Andre, okay, what's going on there? And you're like, we never got that before.
0: No, <laughs> sure. no.
1: Not in that way. I was just like, oh. <laughs>
0: Well, and there's well to connect with that there's <laughs> Hollywood scene on this record, which yes. is essentially about a gay hustler. Yeah, and yeah. this was scandalous. Yeah, scandalous for people. But on the flip side, I'm going to juxtapose this. There was the. Anti-abortion song.
1: I'll be good to you, baby. A message to the silent victims. Yes.
0: So this is an important time to say that one of the other things that as in doing my own research on Andre and particularly this period, the one thing that emerges is he was a Republican. Yeah. And so it help, that helps me really understand a little bit more of how he was able to navigate a lot of this because there were... Some core values that were in sync. I mean, I have I've been told I have not seen this. This Grammy speech has never been um, publicized anywhere. But I've been told that when he won one of the Grammys early in his career, he um, thanked America's founders for bringing his people to America um so that they could learn about jesus and so there's that kind of thing again i would love to know if that was actually said i've been told yeah. that's what was said mm-hmm. uh at the grammys which is yeah. you know we know this is something that gets said we know this is yeah this i mean, is it, real it,
1: it, i see the through line between that comment and kanye's comments about slavery yes and, yeah yeah
0: and so that emerges, the the anti-abortion thing emerges on this record. At the same time, he's on a panel, I believe, for the Billboard Music Conference with James Cleveland, and they have like an open sparring thing because James is a Democrat and Andre is a Republican. And so there's like this real conversation because James and Andre, not just related to the blood, <laughs> will never lose its power situation. Right. They were, James was very competitive with Andre and openly critical of andre yeah um and they were the most prolific
1: artists yes. during that time those two yes they were constantly nominated against each other every yes. year the grammys and you know
0: so james openly criticized andre for doing saturday night live around this time i believe it was 81 it was the don't give up era it may have been the next year but he openly criticized him and even made the point to say that particular episode was especially vulgar as if like Andre had some control over. Right. uh, What they were going to
1: be poking fun at. Yeah. And
0: so this was also something Andre was experiencing. And I think that's important to, you know, know and contemplate as you listen to this music, because it's also very uh, in other ways it, I, it would seem that Andre was actually more conservative than James, <laughs> right? Right, and
1: so yeah, this was you know he was criticized for this being what was considered a sellout album, that's selling
0: right. out. He also does the Jeffersons during this time. Mm. He does uh, Solid Gold. These are all really scandalous things. Yeah,
1: but you know if you are going to listen to this album. Listen to Don't Give Up, uh, Hollywood Scene, like Tim mentioned, I Can't Keep It to Myself, and, of course, Handwriting on the Wall. I mean, come on. Yeah. Like, yeah. talk about Earth, Wind, and Fire, Cool and the Gang, yes. Brothers Johnson. It's just cut from that exact cloth.
0: When you also get Marvin Winans' composition on this song, Start All Over Again, the, mm. which actually was, I'm not a Marvin Winans fan. Yeah, Everybody yeah. knows, but I think it's one of the best songs on this record. And we also have to mention that in this time period, Andre introduces the Winans um, yes. to the world. He and Bill Maxwell uh, also brought the Winans to Light Records. And um, we got another generation of influencers mm-hmm. in gospel music. And part of, I think, that commonality is the fact that there's some common <laughs> political political, slantings. spiritual views. Yeah. Yes.
1: Um, so don't, uh, don't Give Up was also a Grammy win that would make. This is fifth. Uh, This is not available in the States anymore. This this album to stream. I'm not sure why. It was remastered in 2006.
0: It was reissued on CD in the 90s by Warner Brothers. It
1: was put up after he passed, it looks like. Um, But since then, it's been taken down. I'm not sure why. I'll have to ask Um, about this. It does appear to be available um, overseas, though, in other regions, like on iTunes. Yes, it's
0: it's grayed out. Yeah,
1: yeah. So after that we get Finally in 1982.
0: Yes. To me fine so here's my feelings on Finally. Yeah. And one of the people <laughs> I know who worked with him uh, behind the scenes at the time, she told me this is actually her favorite Andre record, which oh, I God. find so interesting. It was it's not my favorite. Not my favorite. Because what I feel like we get on this record are those kinds of songs i complained about in the last episode Mm -hmm. the songs that i know i won't get criticized for Mm -hmm. and so we get
1: we are not ashamed we are not
0: ashamed which i hate i've hated every remake of it from everybody who's ever remade it yeah uh i don't know who's asking you to be ashamed i don't know so i've you know yeah yeah i don't need to go down that rabbit hole Mm -hmm. um I did not like We Need to Hear from You. I did not like Sweet Communion. Did not enjoy this album. I did not enjoy the remake of My Tribute. Really? Uh,
1: I thought that was like the one saving grace from it. But mm. yeah. <laughs> no. But I agree. It's it, it feels like the compromise record. Yeah. Unfortunately, compromising the way the church wants you to. Yeah. You know, <laughs> all the, the things typical, that they yell at you about. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's the typical response to, oh, my crossover record got criticized. So I'll make a really churchy record now. It's um, The Joy That Floods My Soul by Tremaine in yeah. response to her A&M records. Yeah. Um, I didn't need it. Yeah. I didn't need it. And it, it did change things for him And because we then, what happens on the heels of this record. Well, um,
1: he's arrested for cocaine possession. Yes. Um, at the end of the okay. year, uh, November. And so in the following year, and Tim has already read from it, we get a really big profile interview in ccm uh what what month was that in 83 in this was march of 1983 okay so like four months after the arrest
0: and this went months. everywhere i mean i remember we were in a department store when this hit the news and we were like near the tv section and i remember my mother who was apparently looking over my shoulder saying oh my god andre crouch was just arrested and this just like spread like wildfire And we had no internets. I mean, this was such a huge thing. And everybody assumed it was true. Yeah.
1: Well, we have to clarify that it wasn't that he was arrested for cocaine possession. He was arrested for the suspicion. The suspicion. Yes. Because it was paraphernalia. Yes. He had had friends that were staying in his apartment. While he was on tour. While he was on tour. And when he came back from the tour, he found a
0: straw and a small glass vial dusted with the residue of cocaine.
1: And I guess in a rush to leave and head out to, he was taking his friend to dinner. Uh, the the, the a
0: deacon from his father's church.
1: From his father's church. He put the the, the straw vial in the, the vial, straw vial in, his uh, in his pocket. Yeah. And so he got pulled over one of those routine in black L A. LA pullovers. <laughs> And they searched his person and found the vial and the straw. And there were some other like weird things that they thought were weird that weren't weird. If well, he simultaneously
0: had... The other thing that happened was that he had been given some Cambridge soup. Or no, he had purchased some Cambridge soup. The Cambridge Diet. The Cambridge yeah. Diet soup, which was a powder. Mm-hmm. And it had spilled out of the... Container, so it looked like there was. It looked like there was coke. white
1: powdery substance yes. in the back. Yeah, and he had like a keyboard and other things like in his trunk. They just, for whatever reason, they thought it was suspicious looking. Yes. So um, he gets arrested.
0: And this feature is really interesting to me because it's like a four-page spread. Yeah. The charges were were dropped. Johnny Cochran was his attorney.
1: Yeah, there. You know, they couldn't. There wasn't enough. Yes, with that for them to. Press charges further, so. But you know, at that point, it was too late. It was all over the news and everywhere. So,
0: and doing what church people do, it was believed, Mm -hmm. and it just to me, you know, when church, we got to understand the psychology of church people. And so, when you are on the cutting edge of something, there is an assumption that you are also doing all kinds of other things. Mm -hmm. And so, it just to to me that sealed his fate. Yeah, with church people.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I, uh, the, one of the early statements before they even start talking. And who was the writer or the, the interviewer? His name was Davin C.A. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, Davin wrote, wrote uh, before, before we even get uh, bits of their conversation, Even if the charges proved to be false, fear lingered in many hearts that deep damage had been done to the integrity of the church in the eyes of a watching world. And I, I thought this it's was... in quote. Yeah, that's the quote. I just thought that was such an odd perspective to hold. Because I guess I think about myself growing up as a Christian or growing up in the church and never feeling like any of the scandals that were happening, you know, Christian scandals that were happening would hurt the witness power of the church or hurt my witnessing power, or whatever, just, just the framework of that is a little lost on me but this is also pre baker scandal. Yes. And, you know, I didn't have millions or billions of dollars staked on <laughs> the respect the the perception of Christians. So, yes. I think when when that is the case, I think things do look differently. You've got a lot of pastors and industry executives wanting to do damage
0: control. Well, and I will say, I mean, he was at, the the good thing for Andre was that he was at the perfect label home because Light did not have the same rigid sense of gatekeeping mm-hmm. that the other labels had. And so, I mean, it's really important to say that Light had signed Reba Rambo on the heels of her divorce or in the midst of her divorce. And it did not, it did not matter to them. She won a Grammy, mm-hmm. you know, with her second Light project, mm-hmm. Um Light had the Res band, which was a Christian left band, you know, always progressive. And so I think on that level, he didn't have to worry so much about if he was going to have a, a record deal. But I think he did have to worry about who was going to keep buying his records. Yeah.
1: Another quote. Does the merciless magnifying glass under which we place our public figures render these men and women larger than life and less than human? Yes.
0: <laughs> Does that need to be a question? Well, and it would be echoed in 1987 in this very magazine by Leslie Phillips, you yeah. know, when she left. Because that's one of the reasons she cited was the expectations of the audience, of the figures to be larger than life and less than human. And yeah. she ultimately, you know, wasn't verbatim, but pretty much. I think that is something we see even to this day. Yeah. Except when they don't care. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, but back then, that was that expectation was very real.
1: This was especially funny to me. This quote, another question in the article: Does the biblical warning that leaders incur a stricter judgment apply also to entertainers? <laughs> And it what's funny about it to me, aside from the whole biblical warning piece, is that we would never hear Christian artists, gospel artists described as entertainers today. They have completely oh, they quickly this eradicate up. they've eradicated that word yes. from what they do, yes. which is outrageous to me because but you are, you are an entertainer. But no, it's ministry. Yeah. Minister. The article doesn't touch on this at all, but I find it Fascinating Andre's willingness to speak about his feeling pressure to lose weight. Mm-hmm. We don't get that very often. A from Christian artists, B from black men, men, period. Black men.
0: <laughs> James Cleveland didn't care.
1: Right. <laughs> but we heard like Kanye West say it. It's so interesting the comparison I'm I'm having between the two of them. But like he got liposuction. Mm-hmm. You know, he was open about that. Well, and Andre. The ta- article described him as stocky, I think, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: And Andre talked about this on um, multiple television appearances, mm-hmm. you know, weight, and yeah. joked about it, but mm-hmm. it was clearly real. Yeah. It, it clearly, clearly bothered real. him. Yes.
1: Or he was, you know, feeling pressure either from himself or from others. Yes. Which is why he had the Cambridge Diet powder. Yeah. In the first place, in the car. Yeah. So. <laughs> I love that you had this thought. We were like about to talk about it yesterday and I said, no, let's just wait and talk about it on the show. The coded homosexuality or homosexual, uh, to me, both acquaintances in the article, you've got the The old rowdy friends that are staying at the apartment that caused the problem. They're the ones that leave behind the vial and the straw. Um, he said, from before things got better, my friends from before things got better. Hmm, what does that mean? Um, And they're not Christians. He made sure that you know they're not Christians. Asked to use his apartment is Mm -hmm. how he phrased it. He didn't say stay at. Mm -hmm. What are they using it for? It was just weird language. And then also this deacon of his father's church that he's promised to take to dinner. And he arranged to meet me at my apartment. I don't know. Maybe I'm just
0: reading no i mean i thought it when i was reading it and i was like there's a lot he's trying to not say in this yes, article
1: around r- about yeah ways of phrasing things
0: well in ccm i will also say this could also be editorial mm-hmm. because ccm was not good at navigating these kinds of things mm-hmm. in an article just like a year and a half prior to this they'd covered the walter hawkins the hawkins family mm-hmm. and they interviewed walter tremaine and edwin and they The writer attended a love center service and was astounded by the number of men who attended the church. And, and so I think there's also like cultural reading that these writers, and I don't know what Davin C.A.'s background was. I don't know who yeah. he is or what he looks like. I did try to look him up because I was curious. And so I don't know how much of this is just people who don't know how to do reading beyond their own cultural knowledge. Yeah. But those were direct quotes from, from Andre allegedly. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Allegedly. And I know they all CCM also has a reputation for paraphrasing, paraphrasing and fixing things and not necessarily talking to the artist about it.
1: Well, yeah, well, there you go. But he's, he's quoted again, take that with a grain of salt as saying about these friends that were staying in the, in the apartment, Some people think a person would know what I represent and just act holy, but they don't. (laughs) Uh, Davin says, did you know what this might mean when people heard about it? And he's talking about when Andre was first arrested and brought in. Stopped, yeah. Yeah, and he said, no, not then. I was worried about me. You know, he wasn't even initially thinking about what this might mean for his career or his reputation. He was just concerned about the fact that police were stopping well, him gonna, and taking him in in L.A., you know,
0: early 80s. That that wasn't really delved into more. Yeah. Really. And I know in 83, 82, probably, you know, when they did the interview, maybe, mm-hmm. um, there wasn't as much conversation about that in this forum. But it does really, like, astound me that that, that wasn't a conversation about the frequency of police stops yeah. for black men Uh, in particular, by the LAPD. You know, that that wasn't more of the conversation um, and the fear, you know, of just being pulled over, period, because he didn't know why he was being pulled over, because he knew this was typical. Yeah. Davin asks, have you ever done drugs?
1: This is Andre's response to that question. No, in high school once I smoked a joint and I hated it. I never got high. Mm -hmm. That's his deepest story and he's sticking to it. That's (laughs) right. The (laughs) The writer also says, Davin says, whether or not his detailed account of the circumstances meet the test of truth for all who hear it. So, I mean, he's clear, like, this sounds like something that will take a lot of effort to convince someone that that's, this is the story. Yes. But yeah, Andre does go on to talk about his rift with the church. Yes. And yeah, when I read it, I I did read it as the black church. Yeah. I didn't read it as the white church. I felt so rejected by the church for so long, so rejected by people who didn't understand what I was trying to do with my music that I'd separated myself from all of it. After the arrest, he said, I've had to take therapy. <laughs> then he <laughs> quickly is sure to say, the Christian yeah. therapist told me that I was in the same position emotionally as a woman who had been raped which I thought, "Mm, I don't know that I like that from The Christian Therapist. But I do appreciate allowing Andre his emotional space and saying that it's valid because of what he had been through.
0: Yeah. I don't like
1: the extreme of needing to compare it to a woman being sexually assaulted, but... Right. Yeah.
0: I do think there's an important component to, at the very least equating what so many of these artists in CCM and gospel go through with their critics Mm -hmm. as a form of emotional abuse that has, we know, I mean, multiple people who have come through this with PTSD. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important, you know, thing to raise. Well, I don't like that correlation either in that quote, but I do Mm -hmm. think we do need to also establish it as a form of trauma. Yeah. You know what they go through. I mean, this had to have been, completely traumatic. Yeah. And the years before it had to have been completely yeah. traumatic. Yeah. Um and I'm I'm happy to see that he at least went to a therapist of any at kind. All. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't going <laughs> he uh, clearly knew he couldn't go to a pastor. Did
1: you get the sense cuz this is how I read it, but I could be totally off base. Because he talks about finding acceptance on the other side of the scandal from the very folks who Had criticized Mm -hmm. and did you did you get the sense that some of that might have had to do with him being a black man facing racial prejudice at the hands of the police and that being you know something that he could use to relate to the folks that he was having such a problem connecting with all those years
0: i would assume that particularly with black audiences he was able that this experience actually worked in many ways in his favor uh in terms of perception yeah because black people knew this was some railroading yeah yeah and the damage that would come to him from this from the very white people who had loved him so much yeah and it did i felt like all of it just reminded me so much of
1: OJ yes. Simpson? Yes. And that same kind of thing. Yes. The fall from grace from the white people and then the mm-hmm. black people yep. just immediately siding with them. Yep. And in that vein, I mean, to, to hear him talk, it's that same OJ, I'm not black, I'm OJ kind of thing. Control your space and don't always feel like you're a minority, mm-hmm. he says. Uh, that happens when you grow up in the church and you do gospel music. Being black, you're a minority. Only white music was the right kind of music. And so what would his response be to that? Be a Republican.
0: Yep. You know?
1: Yep. So I feel like, you know, for all the things he doesn't say in this article, you're getting a lot of what make up his psychic nature. Yes. And all that goes into that.
0: Well, and they've also always... He's always told the story that his a lot of his musical tastes came from the juxtaposition of his mother and his father his father loved gospel mm-hmm. his mother loved soft music and so there was always the that's too noisy from mm-hmm. his mom and his father you know had the opposite end of the spectrum and so i think he's an interesting his results are interesting Yeah, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> they're not just musical
1: and he talks about being tired he talks about being tired It's easy to get tired of the hoopla. Jumping down the aisles and making every song a fast song. Yes. Is what he says. Yes.
0: Well, and it's interesting, though, because on the heels of this, he produces Sandra's first record. Yeah. And Sandra's record is a completely geared to the black church yes. record. Yes. And Sandra's uh and it's, yeah, not to, because we can't do a whole episode on Sandra. But I loved Sandra's emergence mm-hmm. as an artist because yeah. we discover she is a great songwriter mm-hmm. on her own. Her work as a choir director, she was amazing. And she was bringing I mean classics. He's worthy was mm-hmm. huge, 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 huge. Um, And managed to cross over to the white church as well. Mm. Andre makes a little appearance on the record. And I feel like his presence on this record is also a message because he had not been on a traditional gospel project. Right. Like since the Kojiks, basically. (laughs) And so it's an, it's a smart subliminal (laughs) apology tour. You know, it's like, and it goes around the world because it's on this record Mm -hmm. that, Won a Grammy.
1: Yeah, I do feel like it was his way of kind of passing the mantle to her and just kind of saying, because I mean, yes, it wasn't traditional, but at the same time, you know, when you listen to Live in London, when you listen to Finally, you know, it's it, he's trying to appease something. Yes, yes. And so I think this is where he lands. He just goes, well, I'll let my sister have it. And
0: she ruled the 80s. Rolled it. Yeah. I mean, you know, so yeah, I, I totally agree. And this was. You also get, though, the same singers because, yes, it's the church choir, but it's also composed of people like um, Gene Johnson and Tata Vega and, you know, uh, Crystal Merton and all of these people that had come into his man, his flock of singers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it becomes another place they get showcased. Yeah. Which is just a brilliant move. Yeah. Yeah. And then he, in 84, comes back with his last record for... Ten years? A decade. Yeah. Yes. Okay, No Time to Lose. <laughs> the minute it came out, I couldn't stop playing in it. Because got me some angels, yeah. first of all. Mm-hmm. That damn percussion solo... <laughs> Uh, is so just again i mean i'm probably have run out of words and i'm just regurgitating the same adjectives but the musicianship yeah on this record is like next level it's it's not don't give up it's a different kind of production Mm -hmm. it's a different set of songs Mm -hmm. but it's still like 1984 right like it is a 1984 record Mm -hmm. so you've got got me some angels uh crystal murden with the Jesus Come Lay Your Head on Me which Donald Lawrence would cover on Jesus Story and Bible Stories in the 90s
1: right now right
0: now which you get introduced to Tata Vega Tata
1: on this album
0: the the genius that is Tata Vega mm-hmm. um who and she was he thanks her in the liner notes for being responsible for a lot of the background vocal arrangements which if you haven't ever listened to her Motown records which were also part of the Jesus movement you must go back. I mean, she is a genius, an unheralded genius in terms of background vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really get that on right now. And you get her right up front with just this voice you have never, ever, ever heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, you also get her
1: on lead on Otis Jesus. Otis,
0: which she got a Grammy nomination for.
1: Uh, that's the song that kind of... <laughs> it's yeah, it's a, to- yeah, it's become a little internet famous because, you know, she did so many different uh, live performances of it. And there's one in particular where she kind of goes off and
0: <laughs> starts <laughs> to giving
1: a testimony in
0: it. and <laughs> Yeah. She, well in many, in many, and you know, having, you know, gotten to work with her for years and got a lot of great stories, but one of them was about how they never knew what she was going to do when they did that song. And so <laughs> the, the original ad lib queen <laughs> one night, she like, dropped on the floor and they thought she'd fainted and she was, you know, reenacting like ODing. You know <laughs> <laughs> And this is all really real. Like she's not like she is dramatic. It's not you know, a gimmick it's, it's not a gimmick It's, just who it's she Not is. at all. Yeah. It's just who she is. She is a you know, she started in hair. I mean, she's a theatrical performer, yeah. and she embodies the story she's telling. Yeah. So she becomes the woman at the well. And what would a woman at the well in the '70s and '80s? What would she have been doing? Yeah. So it makes complete
1: sense. Yeah. Um, so on this one, it's like nothing I did, nothing I drank, <laughs> no man I
0: did. <laughs> oh, Lord, 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 nothing I did, nothing I tried, nothing I smoked, nothing I snorted, nothing I drank.
1: It didn't be any good
0: Oh Lord, even that food The food, the food I put in my mouth Would help me, Lord <laughs> The food, the food <laughs> it's, a, it's a great moment um, So, what is it is Jesus Always Remember Always Remember Which also got a Grammy nomination mm-hmm. And title track Total 80s, r realness Yeah You know um, living this kind of life,
1: mm-hmm.
0: living this kind of life. I mean, just grooves for days, yeah. and these singers were just incredible. It was jointly released by Warner Brothers and Light. Light. This and, was
1: the last Light, yes. Album
0: won a Dove Award. Uh, it's it is on iTunes, so you got to buy this sucker. Well, you can probably stream
1: it on Apple Music, but it's not on Spotify. Yes, and there's not official. It's not officially on like. YouTube music either you can hear the songs but other people have uploaded them
0: just buy it it's so yeah, good yeah um, I,
1: I do have to say the remasters uh, and Bernie Grunman did this remaster and Don't Give Up I mean they're just absolutely beautiful yeah these two in particular
0: light take notes because this is what you should have done with andre's catalog and the reason yeah. that you got remastered on this was because warner brothers controls right. the master and did it
1: yeah yeah but all those previous ones could use it as well but yeah after this album this is his longest hiatus from albums since he started yes he was it was an album every year every two years max
0: yep um but what does happen <laughs> is he starts working on in film and television and session work and so in 1985, he gets the job uh, doing the gospel pieces on The Color Purple. Mm-hmm. And Tata Vega simultaneously gets the job to be the singing voice of Shug Avery. Mm-hmm. these were two separate auditions. Like, she did not get that job because Andre got the job. Like, they were two separate auditions. Because uh, I've read just this past week that James Cleveland also auditioned for the choir work. Mm-hmm. Uh, (laughs) oh boy oh boy boy. and so Andre composes God is trying to tell you something for Mm -hmm. this film which has become a culturally defining moment Mm -hmm. in film Mm -hmm. and God is trying to tell you something is infamous yeah
1: you know anything drag queens do you know is just a part of the canon of pop culture period and you know the color purple and we're going to talk about the other things he's I'm going to keep saying this probably over and over again, but he didn't just, like, cross over and start doing, like, moderately successful things in the world, quote-unquote. Like, The Color Purple was an Oscar-nominated film score, you know? Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. I mean, Tata Vega performed Miss Sealy's Blues on the Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a huge, huge moment. And they bring in at the beginning of the song the Church of God in Christ. Yeah, the yes, mm-hmm. the yes call. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love just the the way he brought the past and the future together in a time capsule. The thing.
1: authentic church. Yes. To it.
0: Yeah. Yes. Um, 1986, you get that Amen theme song composed <laughs> by Andre and, I believe, Bill Maxwell. Song by Vanessa Bell Armstrong. She sang, look. <laughs> <laughs> you know I love Vanessa.
1: And, like, that song, like, 60 seconds. Just completely capture the church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Greatness. Just yeah, greatness.
0: Correctly. In 85, Sandra did her second record mm. as well. Andre plays on it. And of course, you know, I believe co-produces it. But I think it's an important record to raise because Sandra really benefited from... She had Tata Vega on three tracks on that record. So all these, again, these singers that Andre is corralling, mm-hmm. Sandra's also reaping the benefits from with We're Waiting, which is her second amazing record. 1987, Michael Jackson calls... And they, <laughs> Michael Jackson calls, they go in the studio and do uh, the choir vocals on Man in the Mirror with him, and then do it with him on the Grammys, mm-hmm. and just amazing moment of seeing Andre, Sandra, and Tata on the side. I and mean, it's a magical performance. Yeah. That is one of the best Grammy performances of all time. Of all time.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and again, like... Man in the Mirror, Man in the Mirror, Michael Jackson. Like, this is a number one hit. This is a Grammy Domini record of the year. Like, he, again, he didn't just like stop making gospel albums. We so could do some little gigs on the side. These are like huge, huge pop moments. Huge.
0: And he's not afraid to do it. Yeah. And I loved. I guess he said, I've been through all this other shit. Just, (laughs) oh well.
1: And then follows it up two years (laughs) later with Madonna. (laughs) Madonna calls.
0: (laughs) Same thing. Same thing. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, I've had many conversations with a lot of people through the years. So one of the singers that was on this (laughs) session (laughs) told me this great story that I'm going to share. Um, so this is Like a Prayer. Like a Prayer. I don't think prayer. we said Like a Prayer. Yeah. They go in the studio. Uh, the Step Out is by Gene Johnson, uh, who'd been a part of the Crouch group for a long time. She'd led He's Worthy on Sandra's record. She led Completely Yes uh, with Tata on We're Waiting. Uh, great voice so she gets the step out on this but the the uh, the one of the other singers told me that when they got in the studio with her and did like the first round or the first you know whatever section they were working on Madonna said y'all are fucking great <laughs> 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 and they made history and they did not do the video they hmm, opted yeah. out of the video which yeah. I really hate I feel yeah, like that could yeah. have been a fun moment
1: yeah but it was a number one hit again. Um, also in '89, uh, he's on Quincy Jones's Back on the Block. That's right. Two songs he was the, the vocal arranger and, and choir conductor on, both Back on the Block and The Places You Find Love. And that album won Album of the Year at the Grammys.
0: Oh, Rick Astley, 1991, Never Gonna Give You Up calls him. And uh, <laughs> they do this, I mean, really one of his best songs, in my yeah. opinion. Because to Hel-
1: that point, he was mostly known for the up-tempo stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So this is a ballad. For, yeah. Cry For
0: Help it is the cut. And they. I knew it was them the minute I heard it. I was just like, oh, that's that's Andre Crouch. I, yeah. I knew it. 1991, they're with Michael again, Michael Jackson on Will You Be There.
1: Yeah, and both of those songs were top 10 hits. I didn't realize, well, You'd Be There was that big of a hit,
0: but yeah. I didn't either. Yeah. And he did a lot of other film work, like there's a um, Diane Cannon film they did uh, the soundtrack for, and did a great song called Everlasting Joy, which they did on the Arsenio Hall Show with Tata Vega leading, did several appearances on Arsenio during this time, and traveled overseas. Yeah. You know, they just did... Other stuff. Yeah. They, they He just went on. He went on. And then in 1994, when Warner Brothers created their gospel division, mm-hmm. Warner Alliance, I'm assuming Andre remained under contract during these years. Yeah, with Warner. He came out with his first record since No Time to Lose. And Mercy, to me, and I know a lot of people will disagree with me, Mercy is the last great record. I agree. I got to see Andre promoting this record at the Bobby Jones Gospel Explosion. And it was, he was still so powerful. You really got from the things he shared, like he was incredibly insecure about his voice. You know, I remember him saying, I can't do all the runs like y'all, but I can sing. (laughs) You know, I mean, he he let all of that out. Mm -hmm. You know, he had that, but he was still, he took over that stage. And he was on stage with all the Nashville singers that were, Backing them up as a choir. He had Tata and Crystal Murden with him. Vanessa Bell Armstrong was on that stage with him. John P. Key and Andre, it was his, it was his. Yeah. And they had to stop taping at a certain point because the audience was so we went in. And he was that, it reminded me of of some in some sense of what people in the Jesus movement experienced with him. Mm-hmm. Because it was transcendent,, uh, he came out and did a set of songs from Mercy, but it was those old songs that really sold the audience and redeemed him to the audience who had not really thought of him since the arrest, really. Mm-hmm. In no time in the no time to lose era. yeah, um they only knew the songs that had lived in their churches. And by that time, he starts getting a different redemption arc because by then his songs had really become staples. yeah, people had enough people had covered them in gospel music. And he became a part of the traditional gospel lexicon. Mm-hmm. But Mercy, I feel like it's really overlooked. Yeah. Because they were still contemplative mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. songs. Yeah. Songs. I mean, The Lord is My Light with Eldebarge yeah. is one of the greatest moments ever. Yeah. It's just that Andre magic. It's mm-hmm. that perfect song that in many ways is just one of the Psalms. Yeah. But there's a magic to it that just works what were your favorites
1: well other really big ones from the album uh, nobody else like you uh joe sample plays uh piano yes. on that one beautiful solo Fat solo give it all back to me tata again uh stepping out on that one and mercy the title track
0: with Tata uh, again yeah with Tata again
1: <laughs> it's also important to mention this is the first album with quest Yes. Was also a part of that Warner deal. To me, this album is the first album. And this won his seventh Grammy. It's the album that is the first one that feels like it's selling Andre Crouch, the composer. Or Andre Crouch, the producer. It's a a producer's album to me. It's not so much Andre Crouch, the artist. Yes. And so it's like he... In doing all that work with Quincy Jones, he soaked that up and made his version of Back on the Block.
0: Because you get all of these voices, again, Mm -hmm. you get Crystal Merton on multiple songs, who we also forgot to mention, in 1980, uh, Andre and Bill Maxwell produced a solo album on Crystal Merton that should have been much bigger than it was in the CCM market, but Really go back. That one is available. It's been remastered. You should get it. It's available everywhere. But it's an incredible Andre Bill Maxwell collaboration of their songs. Again, just the volume. But yeah. Mercy to me, like you get Crystal, you get Tata, L, and you get Andre. His voice has changed. But there's fun stuff. Just to think. I think that somebody can love somebody like me mm-hmm. his strength is on the uptempo songs yeah now you yeah. really get that he's not pulling off ballads anymore yeah
1: and this album you know it's not um, it's not about being on the cutting edge no. it's not about being that contemporary album but it is more high concept and it has a global sound totally. it feels very comprehensive like a what the Sounds of Blackness was doing, totally. you know, like that kind of thing. It's
0: a Grammy-bait. It was a Grammy-bait album. <laughs> it's a Grammy-bait. <laughs> it's a comeback album. Yeah, It's also like him figuring out how to do what I think he aimed to do with Finally mm-hmm. a whole lot better. A whole lot better. And he had a decade to build up to it. Yeah. He well, just- the
1: other thing that happened in 1994 we have to mention is that he did the choir arrangements for the fucking Lion King. He did. (laughs) Like, I need people to get how big that is and was. Like, it is one of the highest grossing animated films of all time. At the time, it was the highest grossing animated film of all time. It's still the best-selling film on home video, period. Wow. Wow. Period. Wow. And the biggest-selling soundtrack ever for an animated film. Okay. So again, like, it wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to do some do some music in some films. It's I'm going to do the music in the biggest films. Yes. And people don't know. People don't even realize no. that that's, you know, but when you listen to it, when you hear that, and then you listen to Mercy, you know, you listen to the title track, you totally hear how the two were influencing each other. Yes. And that's a sound that he carried out to the end of his life. It is. It is.
0: Which is why I was so disappointed in Prey. Yeah. Yeah. Prey felt like he had a lot less money to work with, production-wise... And the ideas were not... Smaller. They were smaller. So Scott Smith co-produced Mercy. Scott Smith did a lot of great records. I mean, Crystal Lewis's Joy, which is one of my favorite Crystal records. Debbie, he's responsible for Debbie McClendon, who he was married to. I loved what he did with Andre and Mercy. I did not love what they did together on Prey. Prey just felt sleepy. Yeah. And lazy. Sleepy. And the songs weren't as great. It was almost like there were no more ideas. Yeah. To me.
1: And this is the this is the album that made me go yeah the ability to fill the CDs with more material because they were long it could hold more just means more filler
0: well and the real gem he had until Jesus comes he had been singing until Jesus comes which closes the album mm-hmm. um, he'd been doing that live since no time to lose mm. era and Tata always led it yeah and so I was so excited because they're actually is a recording of her doing it Mm -hmm. (laughs) that exists and so i was so excited when i knew it was on this record because i thought oh my god we're finally going to get tata's version of this or tata delivering the song and it was completely one of scott smith's one of my least favorite things he does this over orchestrated ballad Mm. and andre singing it Uh. and we don't need 1997 andre singing until jesus comes yeah And I was just completely let down. If you've ever, and there is video of Tata doing this live, you should look it up and hear why this was such a missed opportunity.
1: Yeah. In 1997, the Andre Crouch singers did vocals uh, on the closing number from the Broadway musical It Ain't Nothing But The Blues, song members only. Um, You can actually hear Tata do (laughs) a step out at the end. It's kind of fun. You know, it's so it's so funny when gospel goes to Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> because you're getting a mixed bag of voices and it's, it's just kind of weird. But they, they what they brought to it definitely helped it. And yeah, I mean Tata was singing at the end of that. Yeah. So
0: And that was nineteen ninety nine. Yeah,
1: ninety nine. Uh also in ninety nine you get the one and only Andre Christmas album, The Gift of Christmas. I thought it was I thought it was a, a gorgeous Christmas album for what it was. You know, for what Christmas. gospel Christmas albums were giving in the 90s sure sure I definitely loved It Came Upon a Midnight Clear okay it's just the you know the one that uh, is kind of the most popular from that album and it was also Grammy nominated
0: and then he's with Michael Jackson yeah again. we get one
1: more Michael collab in 2001 uh, Speechless Uh, you know more more choir vocals on that one Uh, not a big hit but you know Invincible Invincible was also a uh nine eleven album right <laughs> right <laughs> We were talking about 9-11 albums in the last episode. Another casualty of that year. And then, you know, it just all kind of ends from there. In 2006, we get Mighty Wind. Were you...
0: I was hopeful. Yeah. I didn't... En- it, was, it was that... It's that new gospel production thing I hate where yes. it was live, but nothing about it is live other than, like, the audience applause by the time they get done doing all the post-production.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I was excited at the number of people that were on it and who was on it. I, by the time it was over, I didn't need any of it. I think it could have been great. Yeah. It felt very run of the mill yeah. to me. And I don't want to make waves. I'm not a fan of the producers work who did that record. And I know a lot of people love them. I'm not a fan. And so I just, you yeah. I, I didn't need it. I was so excited about everybody that was on it, but yeah. it was a disappointment.
1: It was a terrible album cover too. You know, we, up to that point not had covers that were that bad the hair hat
0: yeah that's the era of the hair hat that really emerged he'd been wearing caps you know up to that point because he had a lot of stuff around his hair yeah um and yeah it just to me you can tell there's a lot going on i know there were i think the health problems were really amped up by that time it was it was i just it made me more sad it was one of those records that just made me sad because i could feel there was other stuff happening and they wanted to get a record out and i understand that it just was disappointing was that a distribution
1: deal with barry i don't know i'm not sure how that all worked out another kind of break and then in 2011 we get the last album the journey Uh, which had probably his biggest hit on gospel radio, black gospel radio. uh, Let the Church Say Amen with Marvin Winans. People love it. People love it. Uh, Beautiful choir arrangement. I'll give it that. But
0: nothing lyric. No, nothing lyric. He also co-wrote Donald Lawrence's Bless Me, Mm. the Jabez song. Okay. And that was his other big contribution in the 2000s to gospel because that okay. was massive. Yeah. It was a massive song. Oh, and there was also, um, after the journey, there was a live record, a live in Los Angeles record that came out uh, that Mano Hines put out. Um, and it was. Is it still available? No. I'm not sure why it's not available, but it, yeah, there was one more record. Mm. And it was to me, really sad because he was barely... You couldn't understand a lot of what he said. He kind of just stumbled around and... Um, the singers carried it, but it was, again, that overproduced. overproduced yeah. I think for obvious reasons, but yeah. it was just disappointing, and maybe that's why it's not available anymore. Yeah. But it was the fusion of the singers he'd worked with through the years and new people like Gerard Woods. I just didn't need any of it. I, I'd like to see people go out on a high. Yeah. And I just feel like...
1: It was sad to see these be the last years.
0: I feel like we could have been you know, great with Mercy. He pastored. He and Sandra spent um, the 90s through the end of his life pastoring their father's church after their father and their brother died. They took the church over and Sandra still pastors it today. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea she played keys too. She's So you, you see their webcast and she's up there playing and she just did it all virtually through the pandemic. Should we discuss the funeral? Andre died in
1: 2015. Yes, Uh, he was 72. Yes,
0: there was a very long uh, memorial concert. Mm -hmm. A lot of beautiful recollections from people. It was great to see on that platform just all the singers. Like we got to see Edna Wright. We saw you know all the people I've named. I mean they were all there. But it was also to me his death really felt like truly in the same way when walter hawkins died it just felt like the end of an era like the real end and there were all the people up there who were trying to connect what they do to him Mm -hmm. of the newer generation Mm -hmm. and i just don't get it yeah and that's this generation to me and that's the other thing that really happened at the funeral they really rewrote it as if he defined the sound of the church through all of those years. And I don't really believe that. No. I think they they gleaned from him maybe a couple albums.
1: Otherwise, we'd hear more of it. We'd hear more of the brilliance that we <laughs> talked
0: about. <laughs> well, I think... I And, and I don't want to sound just like, you know, sourpuss and sad sack, but I just feel like hearing that Andre had horns and strings and production doesn't mean because you have horns and synth strings and really overdubbed background vocals on your project means that you're a descendant to right. what he did it just means you heard something you liked about his work because there's also like the construction of a song mm-hmm. there's also the heart of the delivery of those songs that I feel like And being inventive.
1: I mean, when I listen to what he did all those years, like I said, cutting edge, just really intentional, progressive sonics. Yep. And I don't hear that. It all just sounds big today, but it doesn't have any of that heart and that vision.
0: Big and hollow. Yeah. And I think there's definitely plenty, as we have done throughout this conversation, there's plenty to critique. But I do think that Somebody that has this massive of a body of work deserved way more than they got in the Jesus Music documentary. Way more. I would like to hear more thoughtful conversation from these so-called disciples of his work. I don't mean people that were in the disciples. I mean like his so-called musical descendants. Like I would like to hear more thoughtful conversation about exactly what it is you think you hear when you listen to this, to this music and what it makes you feel. What does it make you feel? Because your music doesn't make me feel anything. So we need to do you know, a Fairfield 4 set, dig a little deeper. Uh, because I just, I'm not hearing it and I'm not convinced. And so that's the part of the funeral that was also really sad to me. Because I just saw a lot of stake claiming. Yeah. For narrative's sake. And that's probably judgy of me. But it's how it felt. It's how it felt watching it. Just mm-hmm. a lot of specialness.
1: We talked a lot about what Andre did right a lot of the moves that he made that were so transcendent what would the outlaw version of andre crouch look like we wouldn't be a republican for one thing (laughs) wouldn't that anti-abortion song would not have been (laughs) on don't give up well i was
0: gonna say i think a rebel you know an outlaw version of andre would have made don't give up times maybe 20 You know, Don't Give Up could have been a turning point. I think if he'd made a different set of decisions, because I think there was so much concern about how the church audience perceived him. Mm -hmm. I think there was so much concern over that, that at a certain point, it muddied the work. And so I think, as we always say, it seems like we say at the ends of these shows, like the real rebel, the outlaw version, would have been to say, I'm going, as he said on uh, one of his songs, I'm going all the way. And just really, you know... I feel like I quote Sissy Houston in every episode, but tell him to kiss your ass and keep on walking, you know, mm-hmm. because we hear the potential of what he did in the eighties, Yeah, you know, throughout with other people. Yeah.
1: In the early nineties. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I feel like we would have ended up with a, possibly a very different end result. I feel like this whole trying to take this kind of vision and success and remain in relationship with the structure of the church yeah. always proves to be fatal. Yes. And dysfunctional. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what we see of Andre at the end really is the result of that struggle. I mean, you can see in the pictures from Mercy
1: On, you see what that compromise did to his health. Yes. In addition to all the you know, he suffered a lot of loss.
0: Well, and there's also I, I, the thing that I really resent the outlaw version would be an Andre that we actually knew something about, right Beyond spirituality and the songs, the emotional struggle of you know, loneliness that we that we get and the fraughtness with church people, I'd like to know something else about him. yeah, and that's what unfortunately, gospel doesn't really ever allow us to have, yeah, is a, a fully embodied artist a fully embodied person because these are people Mm -hmm. and when they become human is when we start to judge them so just the suspicion that he might have you know he was arrested for potential drug possession right is enough to tell us all we want to know about them and i want to know so much more i want to know all of the things not for the sake of being gossipy but for the sake of being in relationship yeah you know to fully see you as a human yeah what about you
1: no, I agree with all of that. I agree with all of that. He was he was clearly funny. He was. <laughs> Just that clip, another TBN clip. <laughs> when uh, he brought the Cabbage Patch doll. To Jan Crouch. <laughs> to Jan Crouch. Jan Crouch. Yes. <laughs> it's a black Cabbage Patch doll. What did you say? What did he say?
0: She always says, oh, they, they, they might be our cousins. So I said, I'm going to try this
1: little chick on her one time. But I gave her a little... Black cabby's pets down to see how she's done. now see how you treat her, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and also, like you know, the Dove Awards, which have been you know really renowned for their racial problems, particularly in the '80s of just mm-hmm. you know even seating people together at one point. It was a real story. Andre presented in '80 five I believe and they had him present the traditional gospel of the year award and he said well this traditionally black who's the can take no uh. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of stirring the pot you yep. know yep. and I those are the things that really for all the other stuff that mm-hmm. really make me say I was a complex person yeah and I l- want to know more I wish we could have known him more yeah
1: well if you only had a, a, a hint of what Andre Crouch's art was, I mean, maybe you knew he wrote one song, or maybe you had no idea he wrote any of these songs, I would definitely encourage you to uh, revisit. Uh, thankfully, so much is available. I know we've kind of fragged a little bit on the quality of some things, Some of the albums, the metadata is kind of weird or clunky or the album covers are awful or whatever, but the music does live. Yes, and pretty much everything is available somewhere. Uh, there's always YouTube for the things that aren't. That's right. In print. Yeah, and if you you know, if you know none of this, even as someone who's never listened to gospel music before, this is just great music. Yes. So definitely check it all out.
0: Definitely. Where
1: can people find you? They can find me uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram
0: at Ray Curenton. They can find me uh, at Twitter. And Instagram at Tim Dillinger and on Substack, God's Music is my Thanks
1: everybody. Till next time.